Two weeks ago, we began discussing the extent to which the role of a posseic is not just to determine the theoretical law, but to also determine the reality upon which that theory applies, thereby allowing him to not just assert the theoretical halacha, but paskin halacha lemaaseh. And we noted that while there are some, like Ramosha Salavechik, who seem to argue that the primary role of Voposek is to determine the theory almost completely to the exclusion of determining the reality, it does seem to be the case that part of the process of Psak is the responsibility and right of a Voposek to weigh in in determining the Mitziut. Last week we discussed how this might play out in medical issues, where it's clear, according to most post-scheme, that the doctor is the one who, in the end of the day, should make the decision in terms of defining the mitziyut. But we saw a range of whether post-scheme were willing to basically turn it over to doctors or at least turn it over to doctors based on halachic criteria of how they determine doc- which, how many doctors, which doctors should be chosen, experts, majority, uh, and the like. And in that model, you see that fundamentally the role of posseik is to determine the theoretical halacha and then use halachic mechanisms to determine which experts to then be chosen to weigh in on the reality, but that decision fundamentally is not being made by the posseik himself. We saw others, however, who felt that a posseik should be a bit more involved and discerning and figuring out whether the doctor in question actually has the proper sensitivity to the halacha. But even those poskim note that fundamentally the rabbi is not making the determination of the mitziyut. We noted that there's a third possible model of, of a posseik saying that um, he's not even going to attempt to weigh in on the mitziyut directly, um, he can present the theoretical halacha and then turn over the determination of the mitziyut to the shoel, to the person asking the question, either to assess which doctor he wants to ask, his own doctor, the like. What I want to do today is turn to a conceptually similar question, which in a certain sense has much more complexity and much higher stakes. And that is how does this type of thinking play out on the political arena? The example that we'll focus on was the question of whether it was permitted to trade land in Eretz Israel in an attempt to get peace. Now, I want to distinguish here. We could have an entire shear on the halachic issues, but... I want to give just a brief introduction to the relevant halachic issues and focus primarily on the methodological issues that touch on the question and determination of mitziyut from the vantage point of a posseik. In a nutshell, the theoretical issues go as follows. On the one hand, there are certain poskim who felt that it was prohibited to turn over land in Eretz Israel, even if it would save lives. This position, for example, was presented um, by Avram Shapira, articulated by his grandson-in-law, Rav Silvetsky, based on a comment of the Minchat Chinuch. 
The Minchat Chinuch in Mitzvah Tov Chav Hei notes that when it comes to the Mitzvah to fight and kill the members of the seven Canaanite nations, clearly that entails war. And in war, one's life is in danger. But that seems odd, because if there's a mitzvah to fight the seven nations, we have a general rule in halacha that there are only three mitzvot in the Torah that one must risk his life for, that are murder, idolatry, and illicit sexual relationships. So why would it be that one is obligated to wage war against the seven nations if, by definition, one is risking his own life? Based on this, the Menchad Chinuch derives that the mitzvah to conquer Eretz Yisrael is another exception to the rule of Pikuach Nefesh. And therefore, the mitzvah of settling Eretz Yisrael neutralizes the considerations of Pikuach Nefesh. <coughs> now obviously, if one takes this position, so then, the question of who gets to determine the mitziyut, such as, will a particular trade of land, bring peace, save lives, or the like, is irrelevant. Because once you assume that it is forbidden to give up Eretz Yisrael because the obligation to conquer Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah, which is not overridden by the considerations of Pekoach Nefesh, then it doesn't matter if one indeed determines that giving back land would save lives. And Rav Shapira did indeed quote this as part of his halachic position. I quote now from a translation of Rav Silvetsky's summary of his grandfather-in-law's position. By its very nature, the obligatory war to conquer the land of Israel involves a dangerous situation of Pekoach Nefesh. But nevertheless, the Torah decreed to fight and conquer it. From here we see that the mitzvah to take possession of the land of Israel applies even in a place of danger to individuals as long as the community as a whole will continue to exist. There were those, however, who challenged the interpretation of the Minchat Chinuch. And for example, if you look in the writings of the Briskarav of Ravitzchak Halevi Salavechik, he, he suggests that this is not the case. Then, in fact, when it comes to the mitzvah of conquering Eretz Yisrael, it is similar to all other mitzvot, and it is indeed overridden from Pekuach Nefesh. The reason that one is allowed to wage war, even though it involves the risking of life, is not because of the mitzvah of Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael and Kibush Eretz Yisrael, but rather because the nature of war in halacha is that one is allowed to enter into a war even though it may entail the risk to lives. And one of the proofs to this concept, this alternative to Menchad Chinuch, is the notion of the category of Milchemet Rashut. If indeed Menchad Chinuch was correct, that the reason one could fight the seven nations, despite the fact that one is risking his life, is because the mitzvah of Kibush and Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael overrides Bikuach Nefesh, 
then that would make sense for these milchamot mitzvah. But for a milchemet reshut, where a monarch wants to simply expand his kingdom beyond the borders of Eretz Israel, presumably there would be no such dispensation. And yet we know that there is such a category of milchemet mitzvah. And therefore, the briskarav <coughs> concluded that the reason that one can enter into such a war is not because the mitzvah of, of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael overrides Pikuach Nefesh like the Minchat Chinuch, but rather because the category of war is not subject to the normal rules of Pikuach Nefesh. If, however, one does not accept the position of the Minchat Chinuch or its application in in this case. So then, we must move to the methodological issue that we have been dealing with. Namely, the following. If one believes that in theory, it is indeed permitted to give back land in Eretz Yisrael, if it, it is qualified as a case of Pikuach Nefesh, so then we move to a methodologically similar situation as we had with the medical questions last week. The theory is as follows. If one's life is in danger, he can eat on Yom Kippur. If it's necessary to save one's life, he can be Michalel Shabbat. The theory is easy. The application is difficult. How do we determine that something puts someone's life in danger on Yom Kippur, on Shabbat? In our case, now we move from the individual to the political, to the national. If we say as a, in principle that the category of pikuach nefesh is relevant to overriding the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael and therefore allowing returning portions of Eretz Yisrael to save lives, we must then ask the methodological question, which is, who now gets to determine the reality upon which this theory will be applied? Who gets to assess whether we've reached a situation of pikuach nefesh that will be alleviated and avoided by giving back land in Eretz Yisrael? And here we have several possible approaches. One approach would be to say that it is the role of the posaic to provide the theory, namely to, to assert if it is determined that one, uh, that it is permitted to give away land and Eretz Israel to save a life. And it is determined that giving back a particular piece of land will indeed save lives, then it is permitted. But the role of the posaic is then to step back and leave that theory on the table for the relevant experts to come in and apply it to the reality. And those experts might be politicians, they might be military experts, or perhaps others as we will see. That's one model. A second model would be to say that it is true 
that the prosaic does not or is not assumed to have political knowledge or military knowledge by virtue of the fact that he is a prosaic. But just like we saw that by medical cases, there are tools by which a prosaic can gather information from experts and apply it to the theory. So, so to here, it's true that the prosaic does not directly determine the political reality, but his responsibility is to find ways of assessing the data based on experts and make a decision. A third model would be to say that no, maybe indeed poskim do have the right and the ability to weigh in on the, the mitziyut as well, directly assessing the reality to which the halacha applies, which would be quite a radical position, one that we didn't quite see in the case of medical questions, though we will see when it comes to this political one. Now again, I must reiterate that this shear is not meant to be comprehensive, covering every aspect of the sugya of trading land for peace, but rather to focus on this methodological question of how do poskim relate to assessing the data upon which their theory applies. So now if we turn to the question of land for peace, we will see that much of the machloket, besides for the overarching machloket of whether pikuach nefesh is a relevant factor at all, hung on this question, which is how does one determine the reality? So as noted, Rav Avram Shapira, as articulated by his grandson, Rav Silvetsky, felt that fundamentally the first thing you had to, to do was rule in accordance with Minchan Chinuch, which obviously obviates much of the need for assessing the Mitziyut. This position was disputed by Mori Virabi Reluchenstein in a lengthy correspondence that he held with Rev Silvetsky. And in this, Reluchenstein was following the Rav, Rabbi Salavechik, who also felt that the role of <coughs> and the pikuach nefesh, in fact, did override the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, and therefore it was fundamentally legitimate to give away land if it was determined that it would save lives. But within that model, so now we have to figure out how does the posse go about determining that this is indeed the case. So as we noted, at a certain level, this is parallel to medical issues. And in fact, Reversal Schechter, in his analysis of this question, makes exactly that parable. After establishing that fundamentally it is possible, it is legitimate to hand over land to save lives, he writes as follows, but who is authorized to make this, critical, this crucial decision? To shed light on this question, let us return to the point that Sakanat Nefeshot must be disregarded when waging war. Is it merely in the interest of maintaining our national pride that we are prepared to sacrifice the lives of Jewish soldiers, or is the mitzvah of waging war one for which a Jew is required to forfeit his life? In 
In answer to this, it would appear that at the heart of our preparedness to fight for Israel is the fact that Israel's role today as the national home and of the Jew is as the new national home of the Jew of the Jewish people. Since a nation's land is vital to its existence as a nation state, to the point that in various limited contexts only those Jews residing at Israel are considered full members of Kla Israel, conquest by a foreign power is considered a lethal blow to the essence of the conquered nation. Therefore, just as a doctor would amputate a patient's limb in order to save a life, um, when the life of the entire nation is endangered, it is permissible to sacrifice the lives of the few for the purpose of sparing the nation at large. Thus, the question at hand seems comparable to that of a sick individual who must decide the course of action his doctor should undertake. The Boskim discussed the case of a patient who is fatally ill, but who could receive treatment that would prolong his life although cause painful side effects. In such a situation, since there is no clear consensus whether going ahead with such treatment is desirable, the decision is left to the sick individual. Likewise, in a case of a nation in mortal danger, faced with a solution of dubious value, the decision on the course of action to be taken should be in the hands of the majority of those affected. In earlier times, the Sanhedrin, even a single accepted leader, could render such decision on behalf of the entire Tzibur community, as the Lacha regards them as representative of the majority opinion of Klai Yisrael. However, inasmuch as there exists neither a Sanhedrin nor any one person or group of persons widely accepted as leaders of the Jewish nation, it seems that the only course available is to assess the majority opinion of the Jews affected by this malady. It should be noted that this decision is not a matter of Psak Halacha. Therefore, just as only the individual patient and not his rabbis may decide which form of treatment to undergo, in this case, too, the opinion of rabbinic leaders should carry no more weight than that of anyone else. Yet, if military ex- experts insist that it is impossible for Israel to maintain permanent control over Judea and Samaria, then even if the opinion of the entire Israeli population were unanimously otherwise, their demand would not be heeded. Again, we draw on the medical analogy. If all medical experts agree that they are unable to prolong the life of a particular patient, even if the patient insists that he receive a specific form of treatment, his request would be ignored. Only in a situation in which the doctors themselves admit that there are valid considerations favoring either possibility is the decision left to the patient. Therefore, in this case, in which military experts claim that it is possible to maintain control of Judea and Samaria by the cause of regular losses in lives, it is for the public to decide whether the war is worth fighting. In that lengthy piece by Rav Shachter, he outlines very important methodological considerations. And here are the considerations he lays out, both in the medical sphere and in the political And he says as follows, there are cases in which the assessment of mitziut is given over completely to experts. And that is when the mitziut is clear. In such a case, the role of the posaic is merely to defer and for that matter, the role of the person affected is to defer to the experts. And therefore, in a medical case, the posaic decides that if something's pukuach nefesh, it must be done, even if it means eating in Yom Kippur, violating Shabbat, and the like. The role of the patient is to listen to the experts. Rav here does not weigh in on which experts 
But he assumes that fundamentally, in a case in which the experts agree, shall we say, in that case, the role of both Poseik and Shoal is to follow the expertise which is external to them. However, Rav Shechter qualifies it and says, if, however, in a medical case, the result is unclear, there is danger in both possible decisions. So then, the Poseik determines what is possible. The experts lay out the theoretical possibilities and the statistical assessment of the situation, but the decision of the mitziyut in this case, how to relate to the reality and which danger to take as primary and what risks to take is given to the patient. On the political sphere, Roshechter believes that means that the assessment of what risks are worthwhile taking is given to the people. Um, And as he continues to explain, it means the people living in Eretz Yisrael. So here, if Shechter assesses, both in medical and in political questions, that there are two ways in which a poseik can relate to the, the, the mitziyut. One is in the case where there seems to be a consensus of what the mitziyut is, in which case the poseik basically provides the theoretical outline, allows the experts to weigh in, and then everyone is bound by that decision. In cases in which the mitziyut is unclear, so then, again, the poseik does not determine the mitziyut, he, just, he outlines the halacha, but the person affected, or the people affected in the political case, determine which risks they're willing to take. According to both models, the poseik is not the one determining the mitziyut. That role is either outsourced to the experts in the given field, medicine or politics, or military strategy, or to the people affected, the patient, in the case of medical questions, or the people living in Eretz Yisrael in the case of political ones. Rav Lichtenstein as well, following in this type of model, believes that fundamentally the role of the um, posseg is not to determine the, uh, the mitziut, but that is given over to the, to the experts. However, Rav Lichtenstein takes this slightly differently than Rav Shechter. And he writes as follows. After responding to Rav Shapira's arguments, he writes... And he notes that Rav Shapira doesn't seem to address the possibility this is Bikuach Nevesh. So he writes as follows, Thus I come to my first question. Do you simply deny absolutely that these scenarios are possible, being convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that rightness and logic are to be found exclusively among the professionals who advised him? And if so, one asks respectfully, what is the basis for this absolute certainty? Is, is it assessment of the situation, faith and trust, or God's secret revealed to those who fear him? Or alternatively, do you agree that the dangers exist, but do not suffice to tilt the balance when deciding the halakha? 
either because the prohibitions involved are so severe that they cannot be overridden by possible risk of life, or because of the importance of preserving the integrity of the land of Israel outweighs the considerations of life. So Lichtenstein notes that on one plane, there are halachic reasons that Rav Shapira may have felt that it didn't matter whether it was pikuach nefesh. But I will leave those aside. What he was more bothered by, um, for our purposes, was Rav Shapira's conviction that this would not save lives. And here, Lachensi, like Rav Shechter and like Reis Alevichik, felt that this is odd because why is it that the posseg should feel that he's convinced to do, that he can make that assessment of reality. And Rav Lechensi notes several possibilities. One is perhaps he, Rav Shapira in fact felt that, as he writes, God's secret is revealed to those who fear him. Meaning, maybe in fact, Rav Shapira felt that the role of posseg allows him not just to wait on the theoretical halacha, but to wait on the mitziyut, which is something that Rav Lechensin rejects. But another thing that Rav Lechensin seems to reject here, in the line before that, is the possibility that the posseg would be allowed to rely on his own experts, thereby rejecting the experts upon which the government are relying on. Now this is already interesting, um, and more complicated, because here, Rav Lechensin seems to be implying that even... If the posseik is not determining the reality himself, but is rather relying on experts, it's not legitimate for a posseik, at least in a complicated political question, to assume that his experts are always right. He must take into account the possibility that other experts are correct. I mean, it seems to be the reason of that is because at least in this case, safek bikuach nefesh, at least the opinion of other experts would create a category of at least doubtful pikuach nefesh, which would also allow one to override a mitzvah. But in this paragraph, you see already that this question of who gets to determine reality, is it the posseg directly? Is it the posseg relying on his experts? Or is it the experts and the politicians themselves who have the right to weigh in? is very important. And which model one takes is critical in determining the way in which one will formulate halacha. Rav Lechensin is of the belief in this argument that not only is it not the role of the posseik to weigh in directly on the determination of the political mitziyut, but it's not even his right to choose his experts to the exclusion of other experts. But rather, since in these issues, he is not the expert. He can outline the theoretical halachic issue. But the application to the mitziyut must be left to the experts because the posik does not have the right to choose particular experts and thereby determine the practical halacha to the exclusion of all, all other possibilities, especially in a case when pikuach nefesh is involved. And the level we need to reach in order to permit a particular act is merely safek pikuach nefesh. And therefore, for a posseik to reject the other the experts would be to reject them completely in authority that Rav Lechensin believes a posseik does not have. In Rev Silvetsky's response, based on Rav Shapira, he directly weighs in 
on this methodological issue. And he writes as follows, Moreover, assuming that we ignore the political beliefs of these professionals, the issue of Pikuach Nefesh and the disengagement plan is subject to dispute. There are security professionals who think that the plan will be beneficial, and there are others who maintain the very opposite, that it will cause harm and result in a greater loss of life. This is reminiscent of what emerges from the responsum of Radbaz regarding a dangerously ill patient, some of whose doctors maintain that a certain drug will save his life, while others think that the very drug will kill him. Radbaz rules that Shev Valtase Adif, sitting back and doing nothing, is the preferred course of action. Applying this principle to our situation means that there is no room to allow the removal of settlements relying on a single school of defense authorities. Even if we say that in our case there is a deciding doctor, namely the Prime Minister, would it be outrageous to suggest the Prime Minister's considerations are not, halakhically speaking, considerations of pikuach nefesh? And here, like Rushechter, Rav Silvetsky argues that the proper model to determine how Poskim assess reality is the medical model. However, unlike Rav Shechter, who derives from this, that what the Posik should do should determine the theory and then allow the experts to weigh in, Rev Silvetsky takes a different position. Namely, that we have to take into account the variety of positions and rather than, as Rev Luchlinzin suggests, allow the experts to make their decision, but on the opposite, we have to take the doubt among the experts as a basis for psak, namely, Sheve al adif. And here, Rav Luchensin pushes back and says, well, maybe, perhaps, <clears throat> there are certain similarities in terms of determining mitziyut between medical issues and political ones. They're not identical. And therefore, he writes, you discuss differences of opinions among security experts using tools that are meant to guide halachic decision-making when disagreement erupts between physicians, and you conclude with a comparison to the Rabaz's discussion who recommends that it's better to do nothing when doctors disagree about the benefit or harm caused by a particular medicine. Beyond the question regarding the Radbaz position in and of itself, is doing nothing preferable even when the probabilities are not equal? And beyond the question of comparing the risk of murder to that of expropriating property, there emerges an attitude toward the decisions of state institutions which disregard the government and its status. With great difficulty, you are ready to bestow upon the Prime Minister the status of deciding physician. But does a physician have the authority to decide, or is he merely a reliable source of information? It is precisely from your school of thought, in light of its past record, that one might have expected greater emphasis on the national state-oriented dimension. And here Vluchensin argues that there could be reason by political questions to grant more authority to the experts. Because he says on the one hand it could be that you could interpret political questions similar to military questions, medical questions and political questions as equivalent, in which case maybe the Prime Minister is just an expert. But it could be that on political issues the methodology is actually different. Namely, that the role of the experts is not just to assess the reality, but they actually have 
authority to weigh, weigh in, and they're the only ones granted that authority. So what we have here is several approaches to the way in which a posseik relates to political mitziyut. You have Schechter's position, which is that when it is completely clear what the mitziyut is, so then the role of posseik is simply to determine the theory and allow the experts to decide. What it is unclear, so then this is parallel to a medical question where you turn it over to the patient and the patient gets to weigh the risks. And in the case of a political decision, you turn it over to the people. You have the position of Rev. Silvetsky, which is that when there is a doubt, the Poseik essentially has the right to choose the experts that he wants, which in this case means that he can determine the mitziyut. Or he can alternatively acknowledge that there's a machloket, and therefore, based on that, determine that one should do nothing based on Shevel Tasadif. And Rav Luchensin argues that one, he thinks it's true that the role of the Poseik is not to determine the Mitziut directly, but he argues that by political decisions, it's actually more than medical. It's not just that the Poseik doesn't have the expertise to determine the Mitziut and must turn it over to experts, but in fact, it's possible that the experts, at least the political leaders, have the authority to make that decision. Uh, and therefore, perhaps, in that sense, Poskim have an even more limited role in weighing the Mitziut when it comes to political decisions than they do when it comes to medical, which could be why you find that while Rav Lechensin was relatively convinced that the role of Poseik is to attempt to determine mitziyut in general, when it comes to political issues, he really moved much more in the direction of saying that the Poseik <coughs> determines the theory but does not weigh in on the mitziyut. The, the most surprising possibility, however, is found by Rav Malamud. And in a book put out by Shiva Haritzion, Bisarot Ha'akira, by Disengagement, there is a series of discussions that are recorded there. And there, Rav Malamud says that not only does the Poseik have the right to determine the mitziyut by choosing his own experts, and not only can he decide that because there's a dispute in experts, he can determine that it's time to pask and shave al-te'asadif, but diametrically opposed to Rav Lichtenstein, he says, no, the Poseik is allowed to directly determine Mitziyut. Not only that, he goes farther and says that the only person who can determine Mitziyut is the Poseik, because when it comes to pol- political issues, he argues that the only people who can see the Mitziyut clearly are the ones who have the proper ideological lens in a much more extreme version of what we saw last week, where some Boskim said that the only experts that you can ask for medical questions are those who are sensitive to the halachic issues, or maybe even only those who themselves keep the halacha. Rav Malamud goes farther and says when it comes to political issues of this nature, the only people who are qualified to determine the mitziyut are those who are imbued with the sensitivity of the cost of giving up the land of Eretz Israel, and therefore will be very careful in their assessment of the Mitziut. And he writes as follows, 
הניתוק בין השיקולים הרוחני והריאלי, trying to divide this division between halachic, spiritual considerations and reality-based considerations, who שאמה בבסיס חתם של המרגלים. That is what was the basis of the Meraglim's sin, of the spies. Because what did the Meraglim sin with? They saw the political reality and said, there's no way that we can conquer. And that's what they told the Jews. So he's skipping down a few lines. He says, Their problem was, they didn't recognize the value of the land. If you don't love Israel enough, then even your assessment of reality will tilt toward those who want to give up. And therefore he writes that anyone And here you see quite a radical methodological claim, which is that under certain things, in certain things, indeed, is the posig's role to determine the mitziut, because sometimes you dafka want to be colored by theology, perspective, when you assess the mitziut. And therefore, the only people who can determine the mitziut are the poskim. So as I said, there are many halachic issues, but what I want to note here is that Besides for the local issues, there are meta-questions here about when it comes to political issues, what is the role of the posseik? At one extreme, you have Ruhlchenstein, who says that even more than a regular shayla, when it comes to political questions, the authority is given to the politicians, and therefore the role of the posseik is best is to outline the theoretical issue. All the way to the other extreme is Rimbalamud, who says that when it comes to political issues, you are incapable of seeing the mitziyut, Unless you have the proper Torah perspective and therefore the right to determine and the ability to determine Mitzvot is completely in the hand of the Poseik. And then you have positions that are somewhat in the middle. Rav Shechter who believes that it's true that the Poseik does not determine the Mitzvot but he doesn't assume that it always goes to the politicians. He assumes that if there's a clear consensus so then it follows the military experts, but if there's not a consensus, it doesn't, unlike Rav Lechensin, go directly to the politicians, but rather to the people, parallel to the medical case. And you have Rav Silvetsky, who believes that the Poseik, maybe not as much as Rav Malamud, um, who thinks that he can directly determine the mitzvot, but in practice he can determine the mitzvot either by picking the expert that he thinks is more authoritative, or by acknowledging the complexity, but then ruling that whenever there's a doubt, we should be passive, which is essentially a, a psak and an act of choosing a particular interpretation of the mitziut. Um, and therefore, just like we saw with the medical issues, here in this political issue, we see that much of the machlokot are not just local to the issue, but are meta in the sense that they are about the way in which and the authority that a posseg has to determine the reality upon which he will apply his theoretical halacha.
For some issues that are related to this, that flesh out particularly Rav Luchensin's position, um, one can look at the article in Tradition by Rav Yair Khan and, Kam, and uh, Professor Kalman Newman, a rabbinic exchange on the disengagement, a case study in Rav Aaron Lechenstein's approach to Hilchot Sibor.